Welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast channel. This is a discussion of one of Grattan's reports. Welcome to the Grattan podcast channel. I'm Paul Austin, the editor at Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing the hot button issue of electricity prices the good, the bad, and the very ugly. In particular, we're looking at the wholesale electricity market in light of calls from some quarters for government to intervene and somehow reduce prices or at least keep a limit on price rises. It's an increasingly fraught policy debate. And to make sense of it, I'm joined by Grattan Institute's Energy Program Director, Tony Wood. Tony, welcome. Cool. And I'm also joined by Grattan Institute Associate Lucy Percival. Lucy, welcome to you. Thanks, Paul. Tony and Lucy have just published a new Grattan Institute report with the intriguing title, Mostly Working, Australia's Wholesale Electricity Market. It contains fascinating new research on the state of the industry in Australia and important recommendations on what government should do, if anything, to try to keep electricity affordable. Tony, if I could start with you, before we get to whether the market is working or whether it's broken, can you tell us what has happened to wholesale electricity prices in Australia going back over the past 20 years, but in particular over the past few years? Well, Paul, a bit over 20 years ago, uh, on the back of the major Hillman review and competition policy in Australia. Governments broke up and privatised most of the energy sector. And the idea was to create competitive tension where they could and regulate where they could not. Now, the competitive tension was intended to be created around the wholesale generation side of the business and the retail. And in the middle would be the regulated monopolies or the distributors and the transmission companies. The way the wholesale market was designed to work would be that the generators would be encouraged to invest in the lowest cost mix of uh, power generation that we could have. They would then sell that electricity through the wholesale market to the retailers and in some cases to very large customers. And that's broadly what they did. Um, and for probably the best part of the 20 years since that was created, we did see low and stable wholesale prices and that was reflected in what, broadly was speaking, were globally competitive retail prices for customers. I think I remember those times, Tony, but those times have changed, haven't they? Well, indeed. And so what then happened, we saw two things going on. One was that the network prices, the piece in the middle of which was supposed to be regulated, increased dramatically, more than 60% in real terms over five years. And people were getting, not surprisingly, very frustrated with that. There's been changes. A lot of the overexpenditure has come under control. A lot of the poor regulation, not all of it, has also come under control. And people were hoping that would be the end of it. Well, unfortunately, just as that problem was abating, we saw the beginnings of a new change, which meant that wholesale prices, which were constituting about 20-odd percent of your end bill, rapidly went up over a very short period of time. What and was the upshot, Lucy? What sort of price increases in the wholesale market have we seen in recent years? So during the good years that Tony was talking about, we saw prices generally around $50 or below that. But in the last two years, they've increased to up to around $100 a megawatt hour in 2017. They've dropped off slightly from that point. So they're now 
closer to $80 a megawatt hour on average across the NEM states, but that's still a lot higher than we had been seeing for most of the last 20 years. About double over the last few years. Yes, it's been a really sudden change in the market and it's had a lot of different factors that have caused that. They just all happened at once. So, Tony, what are those general factors that have caused this doubling of wholesale prices recently? Well, broadly, there's been two big ones and one somewhat lesser one. The, The big ones have been that we started 20 years ago with a market that was uh, built um, with a lot of oversupply. Um, State-based, government-owned power companies had built a lot of capacity. We then brought them under private ownership and we also interconnected them. So what that meant was under this wholesale spot market uh, where every five minutes of every day generators are bidding and retailers are buying that electricity, um, we saw very low prices because there was a lot of oversupply. And that continued for a long time. In addition to that, uh, we saw a situation in which coal prices were relatively stable and gas prices by global standards were very low. Mm -hmm. Two of those factors, those two factors have now changed. Basically, we've seen old, very cheap coal-fired power stations become less reliable and more expensive as maintaining them becomes a real challenge. And as a result of that, they basically shut down. Some of them already have shut down. 40, 50-year-old plants. Part of that was helped by the fact that we were also forcing in a lot more renewable generation, which put a lot of price pressure on those coal generators. So you take out some very large coal generators like Northern and South Australia or Hazelwood and Victoria, not surprisingly, prices went up. The second thing that happened is that um, you get the combination of these two things. So firstly, you get, as I said, the, the fuel prices have gone up, coal and gas. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you've got less supply. Not surprisingly, that is a witch's brew for prices to go up significantly. And because demand is not going up, because in fact, demand has been flat or declining, um, we haven't seen new investment to replace that. We haven't really needed it. At the same time, we continue to see more renewable energy being subsidized into the system. And so We've got this very unnerving situation where we've got high prices, uh, but nothing's happening. And they're the two big issues. There's the third one, which relates to the way in which the power companies, the generators, bid their supply into the market. And that creates itself some unusual outcomes, which we think are inefficient from a market perspective and need to be addressed. This sounds like gaming of the system. Is that what we're looking at here, Lucy? Yes, so we've done some analysis on what we've called gaming. It's when we get a very big change in price within a five-minute interval that doesn't seem to necessarily be a genuine supply constraint. Sometimes it is, but a lot of the time it's because generators can rebid their supply into the market up to 67 seconds before a dispatch interval. It's very precise numbers, but it's a precise game. So... The reason we've called it gaming is that like playing a game against your younger brother, they're not necessarily cheating, (laughs) but the rules are such that one player can be at an advantage in a certain circumstance. And we think that it's worth addressing those rules to make the system a bit more balanced for everyone. Just flesh this out a bit more for me. If I'm a generator of electricity in Australia, how do I game the system to increase my revenue? So we've seen for a long time that if a generator can rebid their supply at the last minute, 
technically 67 seconds, but we'll Mm -hmm. round it to a minute, Mm -hmm. then when the system is somewhat constrained, there's not plenty of supply available and the the system is not perfectly flexible because it takes time for coal generators to warm up or even gas-fired power stations to warm up. They, if a generator rebids very late, their electricity either at a higher price or reduces the amount that they're prepared to supply for the next interval. And if no one else is able to respond faster, which sometimes can't happen because of technological constraints, then that can shoot the price up towards the market price cap for just five minutes. And it doesn't necessarily change who would have been dispatched on the basis of the bid before that period. So if the price spikes for just five minutes, why should I care? You should care because it does have a little impact on your bill. It's not a very big impact, but we still think it's something that's worth addressing. And our recommendation would be that the AEMC should reconsider a gate closure mechanism to just shift the time that that last rebid can be accepted, except under very unusual circumstances like a generator going out and it not being able to supply at all. So how widespread is this gaming? Is it across the NEM? Historically, it's been more prevalent in Queensland and South Australia. That's largely because they have higher concentration of generation ownership and because they are more constrained in the network. They sit on the edge of the national electricity market. Uh, Victoria and uh, New South Wales are more centralised. They have more generation capacity that could Uh, respond at such late notice and they have more interconnectors that can respond at late notice. But we have seen in the last few months, about earlier this year, that Victoria has started to see some of that behaviour and so it may happen more as we have less supply in the system. So as Tony was saying, that oversupply has started to dry up and so it makes the conditions of the market more amenable to gaming. So Tony was emphasising that gaming is only the smallest of the three elements of the witch's brew. Mm. What, what, what are the proportions of those three causes that we've identified for the rise in wholesale electricity prices? We looked at the direct input costs from gas and coal and how much they've increased. Each of those has around about doubled over the last two to three years. Mm -hmm. That accounts directly for generators having um, much higher input costs of about two and a half to four billion dollars a year is our estimate. And so that accounts for about 40 percent of the direct increase. The gaming component that I was talking about increased slightly between 2015 and 2017. Annually, it's about 800 million now. It used to be about 550 million. So that's an increase of about 250 million, but that's only about 2% of the electricity wholesale price in 2017. And the last component is the big shift in the market as the market went from being oversupplied with legacy assets and there was a shift towards um, tighter supply, uh, higher cost supply as gas was being used more often. That accounts for the residual component, which is about 60%. Okay, so Tony, those two big components, input costs, tighter supply, what can government do about those two big issues? Well, the frustration for governments is that they are desperate to try and do something 
but because they are factors that are created from the external world, the supply and demand and the costs of the inputs, some of which are dictated by international markets rather than domestic markets, mm. there's actually very little governments can probably do to affect those. Now, that doesn't mean governments won't be attempted to intervene in the market in a sense because what tends to happen when governments become frustrated like when people don't like the uh, the way in which a uh, the VAR rule in the World Cup goes against them, they think it's a great system when they get a penalty. They don't like it when it goes against them. Same thing happens here. You know, like when the when the market doesn't deliver what we thought it was going to deliver for us, then we think the market's broken, mm-hmm. and that gives governments a real temptation to intervene in the market. Now that could happen by directly uh, have a domestic gas reservation policy. It could involve renationalisation of the sort we've, you know, we already know Queensland owns generators and um, they don't always behave what we would describe as commercially. And there must be a, despite what the federal government has said, there'll be temptations as a result of them now being the sole shareholder of Snowy Hydro to do similar things since they've taken out the other shareholders. So I think the, the temptation for governments to intervene is very great. And our message is, look, Prices were low. That was good news for consumers. Mm -hmm. It was partly driven by circumstances of the time. Those circumstances have fundamentally changed. Gas prices will not return to the prices we saw five or six years ago. Almost certainly never. They may even go up higher or lower. We don't know. Um, The oversupply was an opportunistic situation arising from historical uh, positions. That almost certainly will not re-emerge unless governments were prepared to subsidise more and more energy. But, of course, somebody pays for that. Mm. So the end result of that is that our message is that politicians must be more clear, more honest, more upfront with consumers that even though they can do everything, they will do everything they can and should to maintain downward pressure on prices, most likely we will not see a return to those very low prices of five or ten years ago and we're going to have to get used to the sort of prices we're seeing more or less about now. We may see, because of the high levels of renewables coming in through the subsidised renewable energy targets, we may mm-hmm. see some short-term uh, benefit there. But as those very renewables put financial pressure on the larger generators like coal and they are forced to close as they also get older, that will mean that those uh, those benefits will quickly ameliorate and we will see prices move back up, back up again because even though wind and solar themselves are cheap when they're producing power, they also need backup um, when they're not. And so most of the things that we see into the future of what's going to require uh, be required for our system are not going to be low cost. That's, that's the reality of this world, and governments basically need to get used to it and need to communicate that very clearly to consumers. So you're telling politicians to do something that they're not very good at, I don't think, which is to tell people uncomfortable truths. Now we're coming into an election season. There'll be a federal election soon enough, Victorian election the end of this year, New South Wales election early next year. What chance, Tony, what chance a more realistic, truthful energy policy debate in Australia? Well, at the moment, I think the chances don't look very good, to be frank. I think we've got a situation where governments are wanting to make promises which they almost certainly can't deliver, or if they did, ultimately would cause more damage in the longer term. And that's a bit of a worry. Um, As we get through this next cycle of um, a highly politicised debate around energy and climate change, we may see some some, some changes emerging as both 
the sort of policies that are being debated enormously at the moment around climate change, the national energy guarantee, so forth, as they settle down, whoever's in government after the next Commonwealth election, we may have some opportunity to reset the political agenda here and then governments may have a little bit more clear air to be able to talk a bit more confidently and a bit more credibly about the price outlook and therefore um, be more realistic with consumers because consumers will not tolerate uh, being promised things which then don't turn out to be true. Okay, but I'm a consumer. I don't like the high electricity prices I'm being forced to pay in Australia at the moment. So why not government intervention? Why are you and Lucy telling me in this report that government intervention is not the way to go in this market? Well, what we do is we forget why we introduced markets in the first place. In the early 1990s, it was recognised that government ownership of the power sector had resulted in a lot of overbill of capacity, high prices, no competition, and all those sorts of things. 20 years on, we've sort of, we put the market in almost like remote control and automatic mode, and we assumed it would be okay. Well, it was for a long time and things have changed. Now we have to make some adjustments to that market because the market isn't there for its own purposes. The market is there for us as consumers and as governments. We need to use the market for our own purposes. Intervening in that market, um, throwing it away, in our view, would be a very bad idea. Ultimately, even though it might have short-term attraction, ultimately it would result in a more expensive, less reliable system, and almost certainly we'd also not be reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, so sum this up for us, Tony. What ideally should governments, not just the federal government, but the states, what should they be doing with regard to energy policy and in particular wholesale electricity prices? Well, Paul, one of these, one of the first suggestions and recommendations is a return to a somewhat boring topic in a way, and that is we need credible, stable energy and climate policy. Mm-hmm. And we're thrashing around that at the moment, both at a federal and a state level. Commonwealth government, the Coe Energy Council and so forth are not yet, have not yet been able to resolve these issues. What we can see, however, is a combination of the National Energy Guarantee, the Finkel Blueprint, and a few other uh, much more arcane issues coming together that would provide a stable platform for that sort of policy outcome. We need to move forward on those with a high priority. If we can do that, then we have a couple of other things that need to be done. Mm -hmm. Firstly, we need to be far more clear and far more upfront that wholesale prices, for the reasons we've discussed in this report, are very unlikely to be stably returning to the low prices we saw in the past. Mm -hmm. And we should be clear on that. That doesn't mean that there's not things that governments can do, but they should be focusing almost certainly on what is still the big component of the bill, that is the network prices. And secondly, there is a need to focus quite clearly on the retail side of the ledger. And we're looking forward to the ACCC's report that will be delivered very shortly to shine a light on exactly what's going on in that sector, one that we have previously commented on as not delivering the sort of benefits consumers could see. Once we've got those things in place, then we're standing to head in the right direction. The other things um, we're recommending are there are, as Lucy described it very well, the issue of addressing gaming in the system. Mm. There are the bodies involved in this in the system, the AEMC, has previously made a rule change to try to stop the gaming in the system. It's made some difference. It hasn't addressed the fundamental problems. Mm-hmm. We need to implement some 
not completely drastic rule changes to address the gaming problem. Those rule changes are the sort of thing that are used in other parts of the world. But we also have to make sure that we just don't buy, buy someone else's product and stick into our system. Whatever we do has to come together in our total Australian energy market, and that needs to be done carefully and cautiously. So there are some things we can do. Governments, um, broadly speaking, have it ahead of them. What we do not want to see is either, in our view, a throwing away of the market, nor do we want to see a situation in which governments continue to promise things that they can't deliver. Tony, Lucy, thank you very much for your time, your expertise and your insights today. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you'd like to download a copy of Grattan's report on energy prices and the wholesale electricity market, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. You can stay up to date with all Grattan's news, reports and events by following us on Twitter at GrattanInst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've found this podcast worthwhile, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.